High Praise Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Joshua, lead pastor here at High Praise, and I want to thank you for downloading today's podcast. We know that this message is going to encourage and bless you. So I want you to open up your heart and receive what the Lord has for you today. Hallelujah. Man, it's good to be back with you, High Praise. Uh, as soon as I walked in, I saw Castle in the back, and Castle said, is that a collar on your shirt? And I was like, yeah, I, was, I broke out my, the very finest, my Sunday best on a Wednesday night. Um, so honored, so honored to be here as always. I was coming down to Crestview to preach for Pastors Mike and Chelsea on Sunday, and Pastor Josh reached out to me to come do this, so I'm honored to, uh, to do this, no doubt about it. Um, love you. My wife sends her love. My kids send their love. Um, she desperately wanted to come with me. We have three kids in public school, if you can call it school in Hamilton. You don't know what I mean, right? Reading, writing, arithmetic, that's, you know, teach them to count on an abacus. That's how far back in the woods we are. But she wanted to come, but they are in school school. I use that term loosely. Um, but she sends her love. My kids send her their love. Lindsay's doing well. Uh, my oldest daughter's about to be 16. Um, so whatever. <laughs> She's driving. And I didn't know this. Nobody told me this, but you have to have a certain temperament to teach your kids to drive. <laughs> and my wife doesn't have it. And I for sure don't have it. So I don't know what she's going to do. Um, she's about to be 16, and probably the most troubling thing happening in my life right now is there is a, a, there is a, a member of the male species hanging around my house that's not related to me. He's about my daughter's age, if you get my drift, like an alien invader, a barbaric Philistine. Just, yeah, exactly. So, and the problem is he's a good kid. That makes it worse. So now I have to hate him unjustifiably. <laughs> he hasn't given me a reason to hate him, but I'm fine. I'm not above being petty. Um, he's respectful, whatever. <laughs> Loves Jesus. Um, no, but we're great. We're awesome. I am, I was so thankful that the Knowles won. Because Josh is one of my best friends, and I was worried. It's like, Lord, you can't take Josh away from us too early. We have a text thread that we're on. I will not even remotely disclose what happens in that text thread, but when Josh gets quiet during a football game, it's like, Lord, send your work. Uh, but, man, it's so it's good to be. Okay, now I need to shut up. All right, jump in. Let's get in the Word. Let's go to Zechariah, and then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians. Let's go to Zechariah chapter number 4. I'm going to read one verse there, and then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to read uh, a passage here, and then um, we'll get into this, and I'll let you go. Zechariah chapter number 4, and then 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Zechariah chapter number 4. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, the Zechariah text is something very familiar. We've all said it. We've all preached it. Watch what he is doing here. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. And whoever's in the sound booth, if you could bump me up in the uh, monitors. Uh, there is no monitor. No problem. Um, then just turn me up real loud in the house. I'm kidding. Uh, Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. He said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. 
not by might, not by power, but, come on, by my spirit. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Now flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I want to start reading with verse number 18. Watch what Paul does in verse 18. This is absolutely brilliant. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Listen to what Paul is saying. When you hear the cross, and he means something very specific. When he says the cross, we're going to talk about that, but he means something very specific. But he says, when you hear the message of the cross, how that hits you tells you everything you need to know about yourself. When you hear the cross preached, if it hits you as, well, that's foolish. There's no way we can live like that. There's no way... We can follow that. We have to be realistic. If it hits you as foolishness, it's because you're perishing. But if it hits you as wisdom, if it hits you as the power of God, it's because you're being saved. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise... And the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scholar? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. God decided through the foolishness of the proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews ask for signs and Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, watch this line, and I love the way it is even worded, Christ, the power of God, Christ, the wisdom of God. Paul is saying when you think of power, all of our definitions in Christianity have to be rooted in the person of who Jesus is. Power, how you think about power, can only be defined in its relation to Jesus. How you think about wisdom can only be defined in its relation to Jesus. Christ, the wisdom of God. Let me say it this way. Christ is not the wisest person to ever live. Jesus is wisdom. There's not something called wisdom out there, and he had more of it than everybody else. He is wisdom. Christ is the power of God. So to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, Christ the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Thank you, Paul. <laughs> He's like, look, guys, let's be honest. Let's talk plain. Y'all are not the sharpest knives in the drawer. That's Alabama saying. Not many of you are wise by human standards. 
Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Things that are not to abolish things that are so that no one might boast in the presence of God. In contrast, God is why you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, in order that it is written that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Amen. Uh, I am, I've been spending a lot of time with a particular, uh, a particular writer for the last several years. Some of you might be familiar with him. Some of you might not be. He's a man by the name of Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And if you don't know Bonhoeffer's story, you need to know Bonhoeffer's story. He was a German theologian, rich kid, um, had two PhDs by the time he was 24. What he's most well known for is he was a pastor in Germany during Hitler's uh, reign of terror, and he was actively involved in a conspiracy to overthrow Hitler. Now, when I say that, he wasn't, you know, guns blazing. He wasn't that. He was a letter carrier. That's the extent to which he, he was, the, he was the, the mailman. That was it. Um, so don't think he's this, yeah, you know. Uh, but Bonhoeffer was this brilliant theologian, this brilliant scholar. You should, he, one of his most famous books is a book called The Cost of Discipleship. You should read that over and over and over and over and over again. He wrote a book on Christian community called Life Together. You should read that over and over and over and over and over again. But there's another book by Bonhoeffer called Creation and Fall. And I promise you I'm going somewhere. And he is ex, he's expositing Genesis, the first couple of chapters of Genesis. And he makes this point. He talks about God as creator. And we affirm God is the creator. Yes? Yes. God is creator. And when God creates heaven and earth, when heaven and earth falls, Bonhoeffer says it is no longer called creation. It is now called nature. That nature that we live in now with the evil and the violence and the, the unexplained uh, hurricanes and the, these acts of terror that happen on the daily, that is not how God originally intended it to be. We are not living in God's creation as God created it. We are living in fallen creation. We are living in a fallen glory. It's actually kind of interesting. If you ever go out to the beach, which I know people on this side of Panama City never do that. Right? If you ever go out to the beach and you look over the horizon when the sun is setting, you're overwhelmed by the beauty of it. And there's, a, there's an instinct in you that wants to say, look at God's creation. And Bonhoeffer would say, this actually isn't creation as God created it. This is fallen creation. This is nature. But just think if the nature, if fallen creation is this beautiful, how much more glorious will it be when God restores all things back to its original intention? But Bonhoeffer talked about we are living in nature. We were created. We fell. We are living in nature. But God is going to remake all things. Hallelujah. That is our blessed hope. He talks about this in Revelation when he says, I'm going to wipe away every tear from your eye. There will be no sorrow. There will be no pain. He's going to make all things new. We live for that day. We live for that world. We live when the lion will lay down with the lamb, that we will beat swords into plowshares. We will beat spears into pruning hooks. It is a world that the Bible talks about that is innocent of all violence, an endless sea of beauty, radiant with the glory of God in every part. That's the world we're looking for, yes? And what Bonhoeffer brings to us is so troubling because this is what he brings to us. As Christians, we are called to live 
for that world in this world. In a world full of violence and mayhem and evil, our lives are to echo the world that is to come of peace, forgiveness, mercy, and grace. We are to live for that world. This is what it means to be Christian. All through the New Testament, whenever you see in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, Christians are not called Christians predominantly. They are called followers of the way. They followed a certain way of life. And for us to follow Jesus means we live for that world in this world, Bonhoeffer. Which means, and hear me, let, 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 let me finish my statement before you judge me. After I'm done, judge away. If I'm called to live for that world in the midst of this world, that means that the Christian life isn't practical. It doesn't work. It's not useful. I'll give you an example. I heard a, I heard a political figure recently, and whoever you think, whoever, whoever, when I said political figure, whoever came to your mind, it was not that person, I promise. All right? I promise. But they got up and they were speaking at a, at a rally, you know, and they were up speaking and they, they, you know, they were doing the whole, you know, they're taking over. They are taking over. Undefined, but everybody knew who they were. And then they said this. They said, we know that the Bible says to turn the other cheek. But so far, that's gotten us nowhere. Now, what is this person saying when they say that? They're saying a couple of things, number one. They're saying, number one, I will follow Jesus to a point. And the second thing they're saying is, I will stop following him the moment it stops being useful. When following Jesus no longer secures my way of life, that's where I draw the line. Following Jesus is not practical. It makes no sense. We are to live for a world that is to come in the middle of a world that is fractured in every way. This is why Jesus is so troubling, because Jesus recategorizes and redefines everything that we think we know about reality. We can either have Jesus or we can have the world as it is, but we cannot have both. And too often what we do is we've decided the kind of lives we want to live, we've decided the kind of the worldview that we want to have, and then we go to the Bible and mine quotes from Jesus to reinforce the kind of person we've already decided we want to be. So Jesus is not our Lord, he's our mascot. This gets worse, I'm in the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> we have come to believe something to be true about life, and then we try to get Jesus to resource that. But life, what it means to live life fully, is defined only in how Jesus defines it. 
And if you define life outside of what is grounded in the life of Jesus that we see in Jesus, then your definition of life is false. Jesus redefines all of these things. This is no more true than when we, when we talk about power. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Now, this is, how we, this is how we tend to read it. This is our implicit interpretation. It's not by human might. It's not by human power, but it's by the power of the spirit. And that is not what the text says. It is not by might. It's not by power. It's by the spirit. The spirit is doing something different than what power does. He is, he is setting the work of the spirit over against the work of power. And this is crucial for us in a Christian world, in a world where we are called to be Christians. And we think that is being drunk with power, having the power of God at our disposal, having the powers of the world at our disposal. But you can operate in that kind of power and the spirit. Let me give it to you this way. We want, we want the Holy Ghost to come like a screaming eagle. And he comes like a dove. We want Jesus to ride in on a war horse. And he comes galloping on a donkey. We want him desperately to take up a sword. And instead he calls us to take up a cross. We are always trying to arm God, and God is always trying to disarm us. Because when we think of power, we think of the ability to overpower. We think of the ability to crush, to dominate what the Knowles did. It's powerful. If you didn't watch that game and feel the Holy Ghost... We want, we want God to overpower our enemies, to crush, to dominate. This is why we read this all through the Bible. And this is what was so problematic about Jesus. They wanted him to act like a Lord. And he's not acting like a Lord at all. Lords don't ride in on donkeys and have people following them. Like, like Turn around and look at Jesus' mighty army. Peter. Read Peter's story. Peter sleeps halfway through the New Testament. <laughs> Mount of Transfiguration. One of the greatest events to ever happen in human history. What's Peter doing? Sleeping. The night before the crucifixion where everything is changed forever, where the entire cosmos is redeemed back to God. What is Peter doing? Yeah. But Jesus is saying only false gods lord over their enemies. And to the degree that we are false is to the degree that we still want God to lord over others. And it's to the degree that we want to lord over others. I am Pentecostal. And in the Pentecostal world, we completely misdefine power. In the Christian world, we completely misdefine power. We think it's the ability to dominate, to overthrow and Paul says something outrageous that Christ and his cross, that, that's the power of God. 
the cross is a picture of an innocent man absorbing unjust violence and not retaliating. See if I let me let me gauge if I can say this or not. And if I do and it goes south, Josh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I feel Josh saying, Don't, don't. Send me a text real quick. Tell me if I should or not. <laughs> There's I, I was reading through 1 Corinthians the other day. This just this is how foreign this is to us. And Paul's rebuking the church at Corinth. He says this. So y'all are suing one another in courts of law before unbelievers. You're supposed to judge angels one day, but you're suing one another. And this is the line that he says, why not just be done wrong? Why not just be defrauded and take it? You remember two years ago when we had this persecution complex that everybody's out for the church. Couldn't go to church or to Disney World or to a restaurant or to a mall, but whatever. We got to fight back. Let's pretend that's true for a moment. Let's pretend that the church is being targeted. You know what Paul would say? Yeah. Paul would say, don't whine to me about the church being persecuted. I got my head cut off. My friends got pulled apart with horses. And you're having to meet online and DoorDash food to your house. <laughs> Why not just take being done wrong? Because that's not Christianity to us. That's not what God would call us to. And that's precisely what the cross is. And it's that life of the cross that Paul calls that is the power of God. The power of God is thus not having all of the authority in the world to impose our will on everybody else. That is not what power means. Power means I'm able to lay down my life for my neighbors, not just my friends, but my enemies. That means that when I am done wrong, I can offer forgiveness in return. That means when I am sinned against, I'm not going to sin in response. Do you want me to tell you what the power of God looks like? The power of God looks like being able to live gently in a violent world. You know what that's called? That's called power. The power of God at work in your life does not mean you get to lay hands on people and they fall out and we are mesmerized. The power of God is on display by how you pick up the cross and carry it. For years we have preached the cross as that is the place you go to say no to all of your sins. We have preached the cross this way. Carry the cross, which means there's certain things on Spotify and Netflix you can't watch. And, and there is stuff on Netflix you don't need to watch. All right, I'm not downplaying that. But the cross is much more than that. The cross was not Jesus giving up his Netflix. The cross was Jesus absorbing the sin of the world, the wrongdoing of the world into himself and taking our violence into himself and laying down his life. We don't want that. Because that looks like weakness. That looks like weakness. I know that the Bible says turn the other cheek, but so far that's gotten me nowhere. 
And this is precisely why Paul says the weakness of God is stronger than men. He's not saying that God, that God in his most weak parts, because God doesn't have any weak parts, God chose weakness. Jesus rejected power as we defined it. Jesus even says on the cross, I could call legions of angels, and I resist that. This is exactly what's happening in the temptation in Matthew's gospel in chapter number four, when he says, it, one translation says, if you be the son of God, another translation says, since you're the son of God, since you're the son, use your sonship to bring the kingdoms of the world to yourself. Use your sonship to amass the kingdoms of the world to yourself. Use your sonship. Throw yourself down off of this temple and the angels will come and catch you. Use your sonship to protect you from having to be human like everybody else. I was in class the other day. They started asking me about miracles. They were like, we need to see miracles every day, every moment of every day. So well, if we see them every moment of every day, that by definition is no longer a miracle. <laughs> a miracle by definition means something that doesn't happen all the time. And what we say, what, and I was, we started talking about this and exploring it, what we say when we want miracles, 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 is we say, what we mean is we want God to keep us from having to live life like everybody else. Because I'm a son of God. Since you're a son, jump off this temple. Nothing's going to harm you. And that's exactly what we've made of God and our sonship. That I'm a son, so I get to have all of the power. And Jesus says, if you're a son, that means you lay down all of the power. That means the power of the Spirit comes into your life to make you powerless. Meaning you give your life in service to your neighbors. Meaning you wash their feet, not just your friends, but Judas. That is powerful. That is power. Probably the, the greatest example that I can think of to kind of illustrate what I'm talking about is, and, and I hate to... I hate to bring this up but y'all remember uh, several years ago there was a horrific incident that happened in Pennsylvania in the Amish community you remember this this criminal breaks into an Amish school I believe it was all girls locks the door behind them holds them hostage ends up killing I believe 12 young Amish girls and then kills himself and I remember reading, this was years ago, I remember reading this, and I was overwhelmed by their response. Because I know what our response is. I don't even have to say the words, you already know. Right? Let them fry. Kill them all. You know, there's just this violent, warmongering Christianity that we got. The Amish community bands together. They take up an offering. They take it to the killer's house. They give them the money. And they say, we just want to sit with you and pray with you and grieve with you over the loss of your son. That when they were sinned against, they did not sin in return. That's, what, that's, that's the life of the cross. 
And Paul opens by saying, when you hear the cross preached, how that hits you. If that hits you, if what that community did hits you as nonsense, it's because we're perishing. Do you know what they're doing in that moment? They are living for that world in the middle of this one. A world innocent of violence, flowing full of forgiveness and mercy. They're living for that world in this one. So you want to be Christian after all? You want to follow Jesus after all? And Paul says that way of life, that way of life, that is power. You want to be powerful? It doesn't mean you get a ministry partner program and get to preach on TV. You want to be powerful? That means you get mistreated and you suffer it with grace and mercy and forgiveness. It's Jesus saying, Lord, how many times do I forgive these people? Seven times. 70 times seven. And I know some of us were like 70 times. Okay, that's 490. Now, we had about 486 right now, so you got a couple of more shots <laughs> that I have fulfilled my duty. Have you ever noticed how we, 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 we spiritualize Jesus' plain commandments and we literalize things like the book of Revelation? You read the book of Revelation, you come out of it terrified. And you're like, there's really going to be locusts climbing out of the ocean. That looks like horses, right? And they talk. <laughs> That's for real going to happen. But then you read Jesus. If your enemy wants, to go with, wants you to go with them one mile, go with them two. Now, Lord, what are you saying? If they smite you on one cheek, offer them the other one. If they want your shirt, give them your jacket. Ask to everybody, that, give to everybody that asks of you and don't expect anything in return. Now, Lord, what's the deeper meaning? <laughs> give to the poor. Now, Lord, in the Greek, poor means poor. Right. Give money to the poor. And we come out of that with, have a good attitude toward people with less than you. <laughs> right? But now revelation in a mountain falling out of the sky that's on fire? That's going to happen just like it is written. <laughs> Do to others the way you want them to do to you. My Lord, these deep mysteries. <laughs> the very next line, you know what he says, the very next line after that, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Do you know what the very next line is? Enter in at the narrow gate, for wise the gate that leads to destruction. My whole life, people quoted that verse about walking through the wide gate and they never defined it. We just understood what it meant. 40 years ago, the, the wide gate was women wearing jeans to church. <laughs> the wide gate, these sinner women and Jezebel, you know. 
When I was a kid, it was staying home watching the Super Bowl on Sunday night. I remember I was nine years old. Dallas was playing in the Super Bowl. I was an Emmett Smith fan, and I, I lied my face off, and I said I was sick because I wanted to watch the Super Bowl, and I was terrified that Jesus was going to come back. So every commercial break, I would get on my face and be like, God, please, you cannot. Jesus, please, I'm so sorry. I will never do this again, right? My pastor got it because when we went to church, you know what happened when you miss church on Sunday? Pastor showed up at the house Monday night. Everything all right? <laughs> That's Alabama church. I noticed y'all were out yesterday. I need to send you an invoice for the tithe check or what do we need to do? <laughs> that was the wide gate. Stay at home. Nowadays, the wide gates, you know, going to... Well, she, <laughs> Almost, whoop, bring it back in, reel it back in. <laughs> the wide gate's going to Disney World, Josh. Glory to God. In Jesus' name. That's the wide gate. Problem is, that's not what Jesus was talking about at all. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Enter in at that narrow gate. Because whenever we respond to others in ways we would not have them respond to us, we are walking the wide gate. And many go in there at. Many go in there at. And then Jesus, I, I got to show, then Jesus says something even more troubling. He says, beware of false prophets. I had a nerve. like, okay. <laughs> now you're preaching. Watch. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You will know them by their fruits. And then he says this, many will say to me in that day, Lord, did we not cast out devils and prophesy and heal the sick in your name? And I will say, depart from me, I never knew you. Now, I read this text and I am troubled because growing up my whole life, I was taught that healing the sick and prophesying and casting out devils, that that was fruit. I was told my whole life, you can't operate in the power of God unless you're pure. We all know that ain't true. You can be in church for five minutes and know that ain't true. I'll send you some websites to read some stories. Listen to what he's saying. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And they prophesy, and they heal the sick, and they cast out devils. That is not what Jesus calls fruit. That's what Jesus calls sheep's clothing. When you see somebody operating in the power of God, that tells you nothing about them. That tells you nothing about them. Have, not, have we not learned this by now? Why are we still shocked? After collapse, after collapse, after collapse. That's not fruit. That's the clothing the sheep or the wolves wear. Seeing somebody look and sound powerful tells you nothing about them. What, that, what tells you about them is how they treat the sheep because wolves harm and devour others. Let me say it this way. I cannot tell anything. You can get up and prophesy and levitate. 
But what really tells me about you is how you treat the waitress at the restaurant when they're understaffed and overworked and you're impatient and you just can't even right now. And I'm not even going to tip her because I didn't get my water got a little watery. <laughs> right? It's how you care for the most vulnerable. It's how you care for the most vulnerable. It's how miffed you get when you call customer service and there's somebody on the line that speaks broken English and I can't even believe. First of all, that's probably their fourth language. And you and I both can't speak English very well, so maybe tap the brakes. Right, let's not pretend you're Shakespeare and they're just tripping you up. It's how you meet an elderly person in the checkout line when you're in a hurry and you treat them with impatience and irritation. Speaking in tongues, but devouring sheep. And we think that's powerful. They cast out devils, that's powerful. They prophesy and it came to pass. Every, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. You throw out 4,000 prophecies, half of something's gonna sort of kind of come to pass at some point. Am I right, Pastor? You need to read Pastor's book on voices if you think I'm being rough. This is the preface to his book. I said the other day, I saw the other day, I want to slap somebody. Me and Josh are talking about it. Me, Josh, and a third person in our thread that we won't mention. Josh knows who I'm talking about. Somebody gets up and prophesies. There's going to be a hurricane come to Florida. Really? That's never happened before. That's like saying it's going to rain in Alabama. And guess what? The first tropical storm in South America that looks like it might be pointed this way, but like, look at that prophet. They're powerful. That is not what, this is off the rails. I got to stop. That is not what the Bible calls power. The power of God is Christ and his cross. Jesus did not die on the cross just so you wouldn't have to. He died on the cross to show you how. He died on the cross to show you how. If you will come after me, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Myself means when I'm done wrong, I'm going to do wrong in response because ain't nobody going to treat me like that because it is my rights and it is my freedoms and it is my... <laughs> Deny yourself. Take up your cross and then follow me. That's powerful. Stand on your feet. You know how many times in the book of Revelation Jesus called the lion, or how many times in the Bible Jesus called the lion? He's called the lion once in the book of Revelation. John looks and sees a book with seven seals, and he's weeping that nobody's worthy to open the book. The angel comes to him and says, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed, and he can open the book. And we stop right there. We're like, yes, 
violent imagery. Yes, Jesus, the lion, kill everybody that's not a Knowles fan and did not vote like me. I saw and behold, the line of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. And immediately, the text immediately shifts and John says, and then I turned and looked and I saw a lamb as it had been slain. John sees a slain, innocent lamb. There's nothing more weak than that. He sees that and calls that the lion of the tribe of Judah. Because the weakness of God is stronger than men. This kind of life he's called us to sounds like foolishness. But the foolishness of God is wiser than men. This is what I came to tell you. Let's follow Jesus for real. For real. Not this souped up, deformed version of Jesus. The Jesus that dies on the cross that calls us to die on ours as well. Bonhoeffer says when Jesus calls a man, he does not bid him come and dine. He bids him come and die. We say yes. Amen. Lift your hands to the Lord. Father, we thank you. We thank you. Jesus, you are power. Your way is power. Your cross is power. Forgiveness is power. Gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and humility and meekness, that is what you call power. Being done wrong and giving blessing in return, that takes the power of God. So Jesus, we ask tonight, make us powerful people in your name. Thanks again for downloading this podcast. We trust that this message has blessed, encouraged, and edified you. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss a message here from High Praise. Also, you can follow us on social media, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And don't forget to go subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll be back soon with another incredible message. God bless you and have a great week.